Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, December 19th, we are studying 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. In the face of the false doctrine that is threatening the faith of the Thessalonians, St. Paul gives thanks for these faithful Christians, and he urges them to stand firm in the truth they have been taught. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and Crown Christian School in St. Francis, Minnesota. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Oh yeah, thank you. It's good to be here, Pastor Apple. So Pastor Dandy, as we get started this morning, give us some context. Where have we been in the letter, uh, the second letter to the Thessalonians Mm -hmm. that's going to help us out today? Yeah, so, um, you know, of course, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. It, it is the second letter, uh, and this is a, a city in northern Greece that uh, Paul visits on a few of his missionary journeys. And uh, one of the things that I think that's kind of interesting, and you guys have probably talked to, like, about this a little bit uh, on the, uh, the radio show here, uh, but the congregation's founding, um, you know, like many others in the early church, it, it was founded through a bit of adversity. Uh, the conversion of Jews and Gentiles from the community uh, was met with, you know, very harsh resistance on two fronts. You, you uh, have the resistance met from the synagogue, uh, as you see in Acts chapter 17, and, and through the secular Roman world. You know, the synagogue is, is kind of upset because, you know, it's, it's upsetting the kind of orthodoxy and, and uh, the, the, the wisdom that the synagogue has within itself by by saying that, uh, you know, the, the Christ has come and died. And, um, and then you also then have the secular Roman world very upset because they're declaring somebody else to be the Lord, somebody other than Caesar, right? And, and so that creates quite a bit of hubbub. And I, I don't know um, about you, but uh, if, you may have noticed every once in a while, if you look at the history of a congregation's foundation, um, which the Thessalonians is, Thessalonians are still a very young church, but if you look at the history of a congregation's foundation, even though the congregation is 150 years old, they tend to kind of carry uh, some of the aspects of their their founding uh, along with them. You know, the the opening and and the beginning and founding of the uh, church in Thessalonica was met with with riots and uh, people being dragged out of the the meeting place of the church. You know, it was kind of a, a very dramatic, violent event, right? Um, and so you can see that kind of trickle down into the maybe the mentality of the Thessalonians a little bit, where they're 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 really kind of taking it on the chin. Yet in the midst of all of this, the good news of Christ has brought life to this congregation. The, the life and, de- left and death and resurrection of Jesus has, um, you know, to quote the people who were mad about the church being founded, uh, it has turned the world upside down. And so you can imagine that the Thessalonians might have a bit of a complex about this, you know, knowing that they were founded in persecution, and that really hasn't gone away. From the very beginning, they, they are hated. They're persecuted by the world, and, and, and they continue to be persecuted, as we see in our text. And so as we, we look at the specific letter of, of 2 Thessalonians here, we see Paul really uh, trying to give them hope and comfort, uh, trying to offer them encouragement to remain faithful in the midst of all of the struggle. Uh, and of course, we, we have that really laid out for us in the first letter as Paul teaches them about the return of Christ, about the resurrection of all flesh, how that's coming. But once again, Paul is going to comfort them here with the promises of God and, and the ultimate hope of Christ on the last day. You know, uh, he, he, and, you know, if you look at the entire Bible, not just the letter to Thessalonians, um, you know, the Scriptures really do instruct us to keep our eyes pointed forward to the future. 
right, um, to keep our eyes focused on on what God is going to do and what God is going to fulfill. Yeah, and we certainly get a sense of that as we're currently living in the season of Advent, that that we, we are remembering and, and preparing to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus at Christmas. You know, all the, all the focus of the Old Testament is fulfilled in that event, and yet God still says there's more. Keep your eyes focused on the things that I'm going to do, right? Uh, and and that's what Paul is really doing here in this passage. He, he's going to comfort them here with the promises of God and the ultimate hope on the last day. He tells them uh, in the beginning of chapter 1 that Christ is coming to judge and afflict those who have been afflicting them. So they don't need to worry about that. Christ is going to do justice. You know, he's going to return, and he, he's going to make sure that justice is done on all the creation. And, and yet, in the midst of it, he, he doesn't give them any delusions about their problems going away in this life. Prior to the return of Christ in glory and judgment, uh, the man of lawlessness, uh, as we, we read uh, in the early parts of chapter 2 or and, and, and other parts of the scriptures, will have his day. Uh, there will be false teachings, there will be persecutions of the church, false Christ and false prophets will come and deceive the world, there will be people who blindly follow after them and are, are ended up being handed over to these delusions and false teachings. And so, in our passage today, as we, as we look at verses uh, 13 through 17, uh, Paul's now going to return the focus back on the Thessalonian church. Uh, and he's going to return focus on the things that the Thessalonians can give thanks for, the things that the Thessalonians can find comfort in, and the things that the Thessalonians can can look forward to and look back to um, as they live in the midst of this, this really present evil age, in the midst of struggle and strife and persecution and all of those things. Yeah, I, I would say that the section we've got before us today really is a an application to the Thessalonians of everything that Paul has said thus far. And it, yeah. it's when you when you read the two letters back to back as we're doing here on Sharper Iron, there does seem to be a bit of contrast in the overall tone of Second Thessalonians, at least so far, in the sense that that First Thessalonians, those first three chapters, really focused on just how how strong a bond. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy had, had made with the Thessalonian church in the Lord. The, the word of the Lord had created this great strong bond between them. He, he encourages them to hold on to the teaching that they're already holding on to. And it, it's, it's a very positive letter. I mean, all the scriptures are positive, you know, but, but it, it's got that, that very, you know, this, this is a, a very firm standing church in the word of the Lord. Second Thessalonians doesn't lose that, but the topics that Paul brings up as he begins to talk about some of those same things, particularly about the end, the resurrection of all flesh. He's really examining it from from the other side as to the judgment that will come upon the unbelievers. And so it, mm-hmm. it's just got a different feel to it until you really get to this text. And, and with this text, now Paul is going to, to remind the Thessalonians, hey, I'm writing these things to you for your comfort. That same thing yeah. I was doing in the first epistle, I'm still doing here with these these teachings as well. So I, I think that's a, it's a helpful introduction. So let's go ahead and, and take a look at the, the text we've got today. Again, this is 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 13. Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So, Pastor Danny, as we get started here, Paul, again, as you, you pointed out, says he's he's giving thanks to God. We've heard him do this in, in his epistles. And, and here he says he gives thanks because God chose you. He's talking about what we often speak dogmatically about election. Take us into what Paul's talking about here, Pastor Dandy. Yeah, um, and so the, the doctrine of election 
is this doctrine that teaches that, you know, before the foundation of the world, God has chosen his church, and he has chosen you as an individual um, to be part of his church, to, to be an heir of all the work and the gifts of Christ. Uh, and uh, he wants the Thessalonians to be assured of that. And, you know, this, this doctrine of election, it can, it can get messed up a lot. Um, and, you know, we, we have our, you know, Reformed uh, friends over in the Reformed world who, who kind of mess around with the doctrine of election. But really, if you look at the doctrine of election as it stands in Scripture, it is, it's a really beautiful thing that Paul gives us, um, and, and the script God gives us, really, um, to, to comfort us in the midst of the trials of this life. You know, Paul talks about election quite a bit. You know, he, he mentions it in Romans chapter 8, for example, where it, he talks about God predestining us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Uh, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he's called, he's also justified, and those he's justified, he's also glorified, right? And so we have this assurance of, of really two things. Uh, a, we, we as Christians can have assurance of our salvation. Um, and, and because of that, and, and really flowing uh, into that, we have assurance of our salvation because if God foreknew me before the foundation of the world, that means that none of it depends on me, right? None of the sal- none of my justification, none of my being called, none of my being glorified uh, depends on me. It all depends on God. Uh, it is His work alone. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 uh, talks about uh, our election as well. It says, He chose us, uh, for God chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Right, and so we we've been predestined for adoption to sonship, right? Um, and so uh, you know we we are indeed all in Christ through our baptism, sons of God, right? Uh, we have been joined to God in Christ, right? Uh, and that means that we are heirs of God's eternal kingdom. That that's that's being offered to us here and now, right? And so this this is a beautiful thing to think about. Uh, as we live as God's people, because Paul is really trying to uh, communicate that one central reality, that the work of our salvation is God's alone. We did not choose God. God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, and that our faith in Him, our participation in His kingdom, our life in the church, both here in time and, and in the future and eternity, all depends upon what he has done and what he is working. And that really goes to focus on the comfort that that Paul wants to offer to the Thessalonians, because that tells the Thessalonians that if God has chose them in such a way, they need not worry about the problems that they're facing and the problems that lie ahead. Because the, the big focus... You know, the, the, the biggest and most important thing that can be done for them already has been. God has already set them aside for salvation that they know by faith. It is God's choosing. It is God's work, right? Uh, there is one guy doing the work, and that's God, right? We actually have a fancy theological term for that. We call that divine monergism, Right? Uh, uh, you know, and monergism just comes from mono meaning one and, and, and jism meaning work, right? It's one dude doing the work. Um, God's doing it alone. You know, we, we aren't synergists as Christians. We're, we're monergists. Synergism means that we're working and cooperating with the worker, right? We're all working together. But really, in terms of our life and participation in the kingdom of God, it's God's. It's his deal. It's, it's the thing that he does. It's the thing he causes to be and, and, and makes to work, and it, it really depends on him alone. And, and that, for us as Christians, should be profoundly comforting because, uh, you know, our works will fail us. 
uh, and it's it really depends on the Lord. Yes, this this should be extremely comforting to Christians. The doctrine of election or predestination, you've used that term a couple times, is is meant for the comfort of Christians, not for peering into God's hidden will, what's he doing in in ways that he doesn't intend us to look. He intends us to find the comfort of knowing that our salvation does not depend upon us. It depends on him, specifically on him as he's accomplished it for us in Jesus Christ. And and this is where I, I think Paul, as he as he you, you mentioned Ephesians 1, and the way that he phrases it there is that God chose us in him. God chose us in Christ. It's not some sort of thing that that happens, you know, somewhere out there, but rather his election of us happens in Christ, in yes. what Christ has done. And and he uses, I think, similar language here, or the same idea, even though he doesn't phrase it exactly the same way. God saved the Thessalonians. He chose them to be saved. Paul says here, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And, and I, I think the reason that this is important is because when, when you're saying, you know, the Thessalonians don't need to worry, that is exactly true. Their salvation is not dependent upon them. But it doesn't mean that they can just sort of do whatever they want, or some sort of, um, to use a a theological term again, you know, antinomianism or or some yeah. you know licentiousness that they can just live however they want or believe whatever they want. No, God's choosing of them, His election of them happens through the sanctification of by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So God actually works this out in these ways in this world. So Pastor Dandy, feel free to to respond to that and, and start taking us in then as to Paul continues his thoughts on election here. Yeah, yeah, and and if you follow uh, into chapter three, you know Paul's going to warn the church against you know uh, growing idle in the faith, right? Um, you know he he certainly doesn't want the the Christians in, in Thessalonica to to hear this thing. Oh, I'm elect, and and all of a sudden just just cast off all the things that they are called to do and called to be, right? Uh, and that 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 quote that you just brought up from the text by say, the sanctifying work of the Spirit of Truth, right? We've been chosen as the first fruits to be saved by that sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's, it's so very interesting, you know, because you know when we think about election, we 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 often think about the topic of salvation, and and we as Lutherans immediately jump to justification, which is which is a good doctrinal thing to do, right? That, that we are declared righteous by Jesus because of his death and his resurrection. You know, it's that John 3.16 stuff that, um, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? Um, that that we're, we're justified, uh, maybe, and thinking of uh, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, uh, we're, we're justified by grace through faith, right? But Paul is doing and making a very interesting move here where he talks about the salvation of the Thessalonians um, being also then linked with being sanctified by the Spirit of God. And so not only is their justification the work of God alone, but that the Spirit is working within them and their, within their lives uh, and, and what they are doing and how they're participating and within their hearts, the sanctification of the Spirit and that's that's the work of the spirit alone as well that he he bears out in us uh and and that means that that the faith of the Thessalonians is always going to grow right um that even in the midst of the the maybe chaotic world around them right and and if you if even if you just look historically at the Roman world at that point right you're you're not in the peaceful days of Caesar Augustus any longer. Um, the Roman Empire has just suffered through two just horrendous emperors following uh, Caesar Augustus. There was Tiberius, who, who kind of went insane from paranoia, right, and, and really neglected his duty towards the empire. And he was followed up by Caligula, who was a nut um, and, and a fairly evil individual as well. Uh, and at this point in time, they have Emperor Claudius stepping in. And you look at the Roman world, and, you know, he was okay. He was a decent administrator, uh, but, you know, he's kind of a lovable oaf, too. And, and so uh, the, the, the Roman Empire isn't 
super strong anymore, and the um, you know there you got kind of a waning of 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 that aspect of the culture and the world, right? But then you also have this church individually suffering, right? Because because the Roman world is is trying to find someone to put the blame on, and you got these 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 what they would call atheists, right, who aren't honoring the Roman gods. Uh, who who aren't honoring and elevating and hailing Caesar as the Lord, right? Uh, and they're they're coming after the church in Thessalonica. You've got the 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 Jews on the other hand in the synagogues, um, you know, making accusations against the church as well. And so they they they're presently suffering, and yet in the midst of it, God is still doing His work. He's still working about to. To bring them into deeper repentance, he's still working uh, in their midst for their or their faith to bear fruit, right? Uh, and and the the interesting thing about that is that we as individuals and we as Christians, you know, as we live in this sinful world, and as you know, often you know our eyes are clouded by the sin of our own flesh. We don't always see our sanctification, right? Um, we we often uh, we we often see our sin. Uh, we often see the sins of others. Um, but I got to tell you, sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm I'm growing in my faith every day, and sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm closer to closer to the love of God every moment of my life, right? It doesn't feel like I'm, I'm bearing the proper food in repentance. And, uh, uh, and, and that's, that's really a struggle that we have as we live in this life because we, we see everything clouded through the eyes of sin, right? And yet here we have this assurance for, from Paul that, that the Holy Spirit is continuing, continually working. And so their faith is growing, their faith is being strengthened through the preach word and, and the administration of the sacraments, uh, of the sacraments of the Lord. And so just as their election for salvation is sure, so also are they elect for sanctification. Uh, that, that those whom God has called to participate in his kingdom are also those whom God is going to work to continually bring to repentance, continually refine in this life through the means of grace, through the preached word of God, uh, and so the Christian is going to grow in that repentance. And that growth is credited to the Spirit of God. And what, what's really interesting about this is that Paul is telling the Thessalonians that though they may feel weak, God is making their faith stronger. God is still doing what he's promised to do. And this is probably exactly what the Thessalonians need to hear. And it's something that we need to hear too, right? Um, you know, we're we're in a very interesting point in history, I think, too, just in a, the American Christian context. And you know, we we can turn on the news and we can go into our churches and we can find a lot of stuff that maybe we might be a little bit alarmed about, right? Uh, uh, just observing our churches, you know, attendance is not what it used to be. Um, giving and 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 the the wealth and influence of the church in the world uh isn't what it was you know the glory days of this kind of american christian idea of the culture those are long over and and really as we we look at the church in the world it 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 seems to be a lot smaller and weaker than it was even even when i was a kid and i'm not that old yet i don't think right <laughs> And yet, in the midst of it all, God's still doing His saving work. Uh, and and the reality is that that God often strengthens us in faith through adversity, right? God often works and strengthens us through facing trials and struggles, and and He teaches us and guides us in in repentance and and deeper dependence on the means of grace that God gives us this side of heaven. And I think that's that's very important for us to remember as Christians. Mm. I, I appreciate the, the emphasis you're making here that the work of sanctification, this too is God's work. And this is how 
Paul actually concluded his first epistle to the Thessalonians at the end of chapter five and verse 24, he reminds the Thessalonians, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it, which is exactly what you're bringing out here for us, Mm -hmm. that the God who calls will see this through to the end. And, And I really appreciate the emphasis that this is putting on sanctification, not so much and, and not that this isn't a part of sanctification, because it is. You know, we, we think of sanctification, we often think of the good works that we do. And, and that certainly yeah. is part of sanctification. It's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. But, but yet it, it's, it's more than just, okay, God did his part, now you do yours by doing these good works. No, it's, it's not that at all, in fact. It's that this is the fruit that he bears within you and through you. This is his work that he began, and he's seeing it to completion. And that that brings comfort, just as his call being all his work brings comfort. So the sanctification, the making holy to the end when he returns, that too is comfort. That's the comfort we're giving you here on Sharper Iron with God's Word from Second Thessalonians. We're going to take a short break right now, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, December 19th. We are looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 with Pastor Jacob Dandy of Zion Lutheran Church and Crown Christian School in St. Francis, Minnesota. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we were looking at this work that is all God's, his his work of calling us, of choosing us, of making us holy, of keeping us in the faith until until his until we die or until his return. And, and that takes us then into verse 14 and following. Again, Paul's Paul's using the same language. To this he called you through our gospel, right? These these means that the Lord works this out in the world, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How's how's Paul continue here in verses 14 and following? Yeah, yeah, and and so Paul is making a a good point there for us. He says, <laughs> that's, and he, that's he's good. letting I them think, know. I think yeah. Paul makes good points too. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's something that's I think we we need to remember as we we apply things to ourselves is that just because um you're a Christian doesn't mean your problems going away, right? Uh, so there still may be suffering, uh, and suffering is exactly what we've been called into in many respects. But in the midst of it all, they have been called in the gospel of Jesus, and they have that future glory already, right? Um, you know, uh, if, if you think about it, uh, um, it's, a, it's a now and not yet thing, which I think we overuse that term, but that's okay. But we don't like to think, um, and, and I, I want to rephrase this a little bit, but um, they've been called into the glory of the gospel of Jesus, they have this future glory of Jesus, uh, and yet we don't often think that way because the future glory of Jesus throughout the Gospels was the cross, right? Um, when Jesus talks about his glory in the Gospel of John, you know, he's referring to his suffering and death. And so so long as the church is on earth, we're going to be like Christ, right? Um, we're going to... Uh, we're going to follow in the footsteps of our dear Lord. And, and very often that means that we're going to bear the cross, right? Um, Martin Luther, he wrote in his, uh, uh, in, in, later in, in his career, um, this thing called On the Councils and the Church, right? He wrote that in 1539. And he wrote that there are seven marks to the church. And, and we as Lutherans typically say there's two marks to the church, and that's the the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus rightly preached and uh, the uh, sacraments of the church rightly administered, right? Um, but Martin Luther expanded that to seven marks of the church. And the seventh is this, 
uh, it's that people who have faith will suffer the rejection of the world. They will bear the cross, right? Um, and so it, it's kind of funny. When we think about glory, right, often this side of heaven, our, our glory is the world's shame. <laughs> our, our glory is the world's rejection. Uh, and yet, what do we already know we have? We have the election of God the Father and Christ before the foundation of the world, even until now, we have the promise and assurance that God has done all the work of our salvation, right? And as all the things in this world might be stripped away, we still have that incredible glory. We know in the midst of our present suffering, nothing is compared to the future glory that we are being conditioned and trained by Paul here to look forward to, and that's the, the resurrection of all our flesh. And yet, even as that is something we look forward to in the future, we have already obtained the promise of Christ. We already live in the promise of Christ, and the resurrection already is ours, right? Um, and so God has called us through the gospel so that we might participate in the glory of Jesus. Uh, and that that means that we're... We're going to be facing the scorn and, and, and hatred and rejection of the world around us. But that also means that we share an, an Easter. Uh, we share an Easter Sunday. We, we share in the inheritance of Christ in eternity. Um, and that's, that's such a wonderful thing to hear. That as we, we live in this, this really fractured and, and broken world, as, as we remember from the scriptures, creation is groaning with with as if groaning with labor pains for, for the revelation of the, the sons of God, right, the, the heirs of Christ. Um, and as it's groaning, we, we struggle and we suffer, but we also know that, that Christ is coming. He's on his way. Uh, and in the midst of it, we, we have everything Christ has already promised us through faith uh, in this gospel. Through faith in this gospel, we already have the riches and the inheritance of Christ, uh, and, and we have it as we trust in the promises of Jesus, as we recall our baptism, as we, we flock to the preaching of God's word, as we eat and drink the Lord's Supper. We're already sharing in the riches of eternal life. We're already sharing in the riches of the, the, the resurrection. Uh, and so we, we are living in the glory of Christ, and yet we are looking forward to the glory of Christ. And that's why God actually has given us this gospel, because we're sinners. We need the forgiveness of sins, and Christ has obtained that for you. And that's, that's a huge blessing for us. And so, yeah, there the, you go. <laughs> the, inner, the interplay here between past, present, and future, just, you know, I know you said the, the phrase now and not yet is, is probably overused. You, you, you may be right about that. I've not done any scientific studies, but you, you might be right. We do tend to, well... We do tend to just throw around shorthand phrases sometimes without delving into what it actually means. Yeah. But I do, I do think, I mean, you see the interplay between what God has done in the past, what he's doing right now in the present, and what he will do in the future, and how all of these things intersect within the life of the Christian to bring this comfort that Paul is talking about here. It is, it is a, it's just a beautiful thing to see. So he gives this comfort. In verses 13 and 14, he reminds the Thessalonians, the Lord has done this for you. He is doing it for you. And that's the grounds for verse 15, which is what he tells them, stand firm and mm -hmm. hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What's what's here in verse 15 when he's talking about standing firm, holding to traditions? Yeah, you know, and if, if I were like a, a really good Roman Catholic boy, I would, I would pull this verse out right away and say, aha, I got you, you Lutheran, right? Uh, these traditions that are informed by the Spirit of God, looky here, looky here, uh, you, you have no reason for separating from us, you, you, you Protestant, you, right? Um, <laughs> but what Paul is saying here, and what Paul is teaching here, when he uses the term tradition, um, is once again, you know, we, you talked about that past, present, and future thing, right? Um, he, he's pointing these church, or the, this church to, to look upon the faithfulness of God that's been worked out in the past. The, the word that Paul uses 
uh, for tradition here is is paradosis, um, and and that literally means kind of the 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 words or or the teachings or the sayings that are handed down from generation to generation. Now, in the Jewish context, you know, Paul being a good Pharisee um, prior to his conversion, and Paul being a good Jew even after his conversion, you know, that would be the law of Moses, right? Uh, Paul, indeed, was still a good Jew in the sense that he, he still observed the law. Now, he did so in accordance and, and, and an understanding of his Christian freedom that he has in the gospel. Um, you know, he, he observed the law in such a way as to not burden consciences um, to be bound by Jewish observance for salvation. Yet Paul most likely probably still played the, prayed the Shema daily, you know, the hero Israel, our, our God is Lord, our God is one, right? Um, he probably kept the observances of the temple, which we see him do multiple times in the book of Acts. He, he keeps the feast days. Yet Paul, I think, is going much broader than just the, the practical law of Moses stuff, that you, the, the things that you know, you're expected to do to be a good Jew. But he, he's, he's looking very broadly and handing them very broadly this, this Old Testament tradition, um, and more than just observance of the law, but, but demonstrations of God's faithfulness, right? And so you, you think about the traditions that God... Uh, or that Paul has handed down to the Thessalonians. Well, what what was Paul most likely preaching? But the scriptures, right? And so you think about this, you think about Adam and Eve, right? You think about Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, you think about Genesis, and you think about that first promise from God in Genesis 3.15, where, where God says that there's going to be a descendant of Adam born of a woman who's going to crush the serpent's head, Right? You, and you think about God keeping that promise alive through through the line of Seth, um, keeping that promise alive by preserving Noah and his family in the ark. You think about God's covenant and promise with Abraham, that Abraham would uh, uh, inhabit and 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 possess the land that God is giving him, that he he would have a son, and that son would would bring forth a great nation, and out of that great nation would be a blessing for all, which we, we know in the New Testament is Christ himself, that, that Abraham had to wait 25 years from first hearing this promise until he finally uh, had his son through his wife Sarah, uh, that Isaac was born. We, we think about Jacob, who, who went through all sorts of adversity, and yet, yet God continued to keep his promise to be with him, to preserve him. God kept that promise to Adam and Abraham alive in Jacob. We, we see that in Joseph. We see that in Moses. We see that in David and Solomon, right? We see God saying and making promises and then keeping them. And every one of these men, every one of these characters from the Old Testament were tested with all sorts of trials and struggles. They were given reasons to believe that there's no way God could keep his promise in the midst of this big mess, right? You, you think about just even Adam, you know, being told that uh, there's going to be one born of a woman that's going to crush Satan's head. And the first one born of a woman, he doesn't crush Satan's head, but he crushes his brother's head, right? He, he kills his brother Abel, right? It, it's a terrible thing. That, to think of there, right? Uh, and yet, Adam held on to the promise. You think about Abraham, who, who had all of his mishaps and misadventures waiting for Isaac to be born, going into Egypt and, and telling Pharaoh that his, his wife was his sister, or, or um, you know, then finally even being tested uh, uh, when God asked him to kill his son Isaac, right? And yet, in the midst of it all, what, what do we see? God does what he says he's going to do. God was faithful to his promises to them. And so as we look at that, we almost get a, a, a glimpse and a, maybe a brief summary of, of Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. As we have this, this great cloud of witnesses, so to speak, that testifies of the faithfulness of God. And so if we have that, stand firm. Because God is going to do what he said 
God is going to keep his promises. No matter what may be happening, God is faithful. And what did God promise you, dear Thessalonians? Well, he promised you that he chose you before the foundation of the world, that he's working to strengthen your faith, even in the midst of all the mishaps and struggles that you're dealing with in life and and, in the midst of trying to live as the church in a a crazy, sinful world. Uh, And God is faithful to his promise to you that in his Son, you have forgiveness, life, and salvation. Right? And and that's that's really when, when Paul says stand firm in th- the traditions, well well think about the traditions of the scriptures. It's it's God demonstrating over and over again that in the midst of sinful people, in the midst of a, a crazy broken world that we live in, God still does what he says he's going to do. And that's really cool. It really is. And the thing the thing that I like that you've done here with the term traditions that I think is very helpful. Is that you've all the while you, you've, you've acknowledged there are these Jewish traditions that Paul we do see him in the Book of Acts sometimes observing them sometimes neglecting them. A good example would be circumcision, particularly yeah. what he does differently when it comes to Titus and Timothy in circumcising Timothy, but not circumcising Titus. I think I, I've got that right, right? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I, I think so. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. He, he circumcises Timothy, but not Titus, and how the issue of circumcision becomes a huge issue in his letter to the Galatians in terms of mm-hmm. what it is and, and isn't. And, and so the, the matter of traditions here for Paul, I, I really think you're right. He's, he's, he's distancing it from the observance of the law in terms of ceremonial laws or um, certain you know religious rites, right? He he may have done those at times, but that's not the traditions he's talking about so much with the Thessalonians here. The tradition he's talking about is the word. It's it's the preaching of the Old Testament. What God has done faithfully for His people. That's what He's given to the Thessalonians. And then what I find incredibly fascinating as well is that Paul includes within this tradition, which maybe we could just say Christian preaching. He includes with that tradition his own preaching and his letter, his previous yeah. letter. Yeah. That, that's quite something to, to think about. And it, it gives us, I think, and I, I've had this conversation previously, um, I think in, I can't remember which part of First Thessalonians it was now, but where you, you see these evidences in Paul already that even though it's very likely at this point in history that the Gospels have not been written down, it's, it's very likely that First and Second Thessalonians are among the first written-down documents of the New Testament, and that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have not been written down. So let's say that's the case. Isn't it something that you see Paul using phrases that you see in the Gospels already? It's already taking a certain form. Yeah. Tradition. I mean, and that I think that goes a little bit to—and and we don't need to go—I don't want to go down this rabbit trail too far— but yeah. I, I think that says something to what you were you were bringing up earlier about you know our, our Roman Catholics friends who might yank this verse out of its context and say, "Hey, look, see, here's tradition." Well, what's Paul really talking about? I, I think you've made a great case that the traditions we're talking about this is the Word of God, as Paul had it in the Scriptures, of the Old Testament, and as he's adding to those Scriptures under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in these letters and then as the gospels get added and so forth. So I, you know, again, I don't, I don't think we need to go too far down that, that rabbit trail, but I, I do think that this is a very instructive verse when we think about the word of God and, and how important that is for us as Christians, that we would stand firm. That, that's, that's what Paul wants is to stand firm here. That's what he wants yeah. for the Thessalonians. Go, I mean, if you got a response to that, go ahead, Pastor Danny. We've got well, no, still nine I mean, minutes. And I just want to make you're, sure you got time for those last couple of verses, but go ahead. Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. Um, and uh, you know, I think think Paul is in a very unique situation, being an apostle of Christ. Um, and and uh, he and you know, if if only we could pick his brain a little bit and and see what <laughs> he had in front of him when he when he was was writing this. But I think we as we as Christians here, uh, having the New Testament intact, having Having a complete and closed canon can can certainly say that that when Paul talks about this, he's not just talking about the Old Testament, but he's talking about what we are going to receive that that entire received text of of the New Testament. And maybe received text wasn't the best word, but the entire canon of the Scripture that that we now have handed to us through the preaching and the teaching and the writing of the apostles. 
um, is something that we can cling to, and it's also something that we, we can plant our feet on, because it's not like as if we're building our house on the sand, you know, as, as Jesus says, but we are, we are built on the rock of the confession of Jesus, right? Uh, and, and this will not fail us. So, yeah, absolutely, Pastor Apple. Great stuff. Very good. Great stuff. Yeah. So, Pastor Danny, with oh, just under eight minutes now, take us into that, those last two verses here that Paul gives us a, a benediction, I suppose you might call, verses 16 and 17. What's, what's there for us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Right? Uh, and so we have this, this um, Trinitarian blessing. Uh, the Holy Spirit's kind of hidden in there, right? But we, we know that Jesus Christ himself and God our Father love us, and they have given us eternal comfort. Right? Uh, and and the word comfort here is is very interesting. It's 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 that word parakleo. Uh, it's the verbal form of paraclete, uh, and it seems as if Paul is referring and, and and referring back to the words of Jesus that we have in John 14, in which Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Now that that word um, uh, takes on quite a bit of meaning for us, uh, um, but uh, very directly uh, looking at the word, it's it's advocate, right? Um, or uh, what we often translate is comforter, right? Uh, and so, what has what have the Son and the Father sent to us to be our eternal comfort? Well, they sent the uh, Holy Spirit of God, right? They've sent the, the Spirit to dwell within the Church, to, to create and sustain faith amongst God's elect, right? Uh, and we know that we have this Comforter with us at all times. You know, we as Christians should be very, very um, uh, keyed in to any real Trinitarian blessing, Right? And so we have our Lord Jesus Christ himself, God the Father, the Eternal Comforter, the Holy Spirit, right, um, uh, comforting our hearts and establishing in us every good work and word. When we think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a certain event in all the lives of every Christian that we, we should be drawn back to, right? And that's our baptism, right? And I, I think this is very intentional on the part of Paul, that is, he's laying out all of these hopes, and he's he's in very few words, he's he's giving us a lot to cling to. He he seals us at the end by reminding the church of their baptism, reminding the church that that they have this seal from God, this this promise that God has worked in you, that in your baptism you can be sure of what God has given, that, that God has given you Christ, that the death and resurrection of Jesus are yours, that your sins indeed have been forgiven, and you have indeed received the Holy Spirit. And as that Spirit dwells with you, and the gift and the washing of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right, we know that, that the Spirit of God is going to work to bear fruit, right? Which brings us to that very end. Uh, it's the comfort of your hearts, that establishes every good work and word, right? It's the Holy Spirit dwelling within the church that establishes the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word of God, and and it brings about Christians living in the work of their vocations and Christians going about what Christians do, right? Which is living in the gospel, living in repentance, and loving our neighbor. And, and I think that's uh, very, very wise of Paul to leave us there, uh, in chapter 2 at least, after he mm. gives us this wonderful word of comfort. I, I think you're right about we should be looking for these Trinitarian blessings in the Scriptures, because they're there. And and even in a case like this, where it's maybe not as obvious as it seems, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think you're right, that you've got the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got God our Father, and this matter of comfort— I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We we saw this actually in First Thessalonians three, where Paul concludes 
very similarly, it's slightly different. He uses the term Lord for the Holy Spirit, but the the works that he ascribes to the Lord there are works of the Holy Spirit. And he, I mean, so we should be looking for these things because we know that's who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we should be expecting Paul to speak that way. And, and two, just to to notice yet again, as you were pointing out at the the very beginning, notice how whose work this is. Verse seventeen. He's going to comfort the heart. He's going yeah. to establish, right? And, and so he comes He comes full circle in this section. Pastor Dana, we've got two and a half minutes here left on the morning. Give us a, a summary, wrap things up for us today. Yeah, well, um, you know, what I can tell, and if we're just going to maybe apply this a little bit, um, give thanks. <laughs> you know, um, we can be thankful in all circumstances because we have the election uh, of God the Father in Jesus Christ to all the gifts and the life of the church. You know, we have the means of grace. We have the, the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, with us here and now who's creating and sustaining and causing faith to grow, right? Uh, we, we can be comforted. Uh, stand firm. God has never failed in his faithfulness. God will always continue to uh, do what he has promised. Uh, from, from the beginning of time until the very last day, God keeps his word. God does what he's saying he's go- says he's going to do, uh, and, and he, will, he will complete his good work. Uh, and so we as Christians, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, can rejoice in these things. Um, be comforted, because we have our election we have the promised sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we have the traditions of the Scripture and the Word of God. Uh, and so we, we need not worry. Um, we can keep our eyes focused on the last day. We can delight in everything God has given and continually works in us here and now. Uh, and, and we don't need to worry about all the other stuff. God is really taking care of His creation, and God will always, always take care of his church. Pastor Jacob Dandy is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and Crown Christian School in St. Francis, Minnesota, helping us this morning with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Pastor Dandy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Pastor Apple. The Word of God is sure and firm. He is the one who has called us through that Word, and so in Him we stand firm now until the end. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.